happen in life, death, and glory. Uh, as we've looked at, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John over the last 15 years. <laughs> it hadn't really been that long. For some of you, it's probably seemed that long, but it's only been uh, a little while. We just picked it back up at the beginning of the year, and we're in John chapter 12 um, today. Uh, I've been thinking about people in my family. I remember the first, the first person that died that I knew of, the first person in the world who died that I knew of was my grandfather, right? Um, no one had passed away in my family until he did, and I was, I don't know, probably in college. So it had been like there had not been anybody that I knew, like not in my immediate family anyway, that died. So, um, and I just remember thinking about uh, all the things that he taught me, you know. Um, and today, thinking about what Jesus teaches us, I just wanted us to, well, some things he taught me was to respect your spouse. You know, one thing my grandfather did was always honor my grandmother. Uh, they got married in a different world, a uh, world very different than the one that we're, we live in today. Uh, he was born in, back in the 1800s, in 1890 something, and uh, he got married when he was 32, and she was 14. Yeah, girl. <laughs> she says, "Oh no." <laughs> yeah, so it was a very different world back then. But always honored my grandmother. He also he taught us to to be happy with what you have. He'd been through many things where he had had much and had little, uh, and he knew that that wasn't. That couldn't affect much about you, no matter how much you have. It can't change you very much. Uh, and he didn't let it. it. Don't complain. Do something. was something I remember him saying. Don't complain. Do something. Uh, that, that if you got time to fuss about it, then you got time to do something about it. And uh, that was that's probably a lesson a lot of us ought to learn today. Even. And part of that was don't criticize help. Don't criticize help. Um, think, just things that he, the way he lived his life. Uh, that that was a model for me in a lot of ways. But he wasn't the only one who spoke into my life. I had some other people that spoke into my life, and, and you've had some that spoke into yours, different words to live by. Uh, I wanted to put some of these up here. You may have heard some of these. Some of them are powerful, and some of them are not so much. One of my, my childhood hero, Bruce Lee, uh, he said, don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. You know, you don't think, you don't think Bruce Lee, who made fake karate movies, you know, the whole time I was growing up, he, there was much to him. But apparently, there was a lot there uh, to say something as profound as that, right? Um, another one that, that was attributed to many people, but I, I think is a very powerful statement. I just put it anonymous because I couldn't figure out who said it first. When something bad happens, you have three choices. You can let it define you, you can let it destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you. I, I like that, too. That's, uh, that's a powerful axiom for life, right? Another one that's uh, in fine English... Uh, he's a wordsmith that we know in our modern age, Rocky Balboa. Uh, he said this. He said it took him a lot of words to say something really simple. He said, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. If it's, it's, mean, it's a very mean and nasty place. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Yeah, he was... He could have probably said that a lot better, but, but he had a, Rocky had a way with words. Uh, Robert Brault said, enjoy the little things, for one day you may look back and realize they were the big things. That's, that's good too, right? Yeah, I, I believe so. A very smart man, I've heard, he, I've been told that he was a very smart man. Albert Einstein said, everyone's a genius, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. That is true, and we should always think about 
uh, how we speak into other people's lives and their gifts and their abilities, their talents, right? Don't lift, hold, hold them to standards that they can never live up to. Obstacles are those things you see when you take your eyes off the goal. That's Henry Ford tells us that one because that's uh, a, a, a true reality. And one we all know and love, uh, Dr. Seuss, who said many things that's shaped our lives. This one for sure. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Right? That's, uh, that's, that's for sure something. Dr. Seuss said a lot of things. He gave us a lot of words to live by. And words to live by are just that. They're, they're, they're axioms. They're, they're powerful sayings because they, they fit with much of life. They apply in different areas of our life and they're, at their core they're true and they kind of transcend like where we're at and what we're immediately going through. We can, we can like pick and choose and we can apply them all the time, uh, different ones. But I believe that they're also lacking. Even those wise words of my grandfather, you know, even those are, they're going to come to a time where they just don't fit, where they just don't, they're not enough, they're not sufficient. Where's the best place to go for words that always fit, that are always sufficient? I believe you go to the one that, that designed things, right? Uh, God, we have it in Scripture. That teaches us, these, this book is full of axioms for life that, that always apply, but many of them don't, but, but some of them always apply. They, we can always apply it to our lives, and today we're looking at one that I believe fits no matter where you are. No matter what station in life you are, no matter what your age, your status, your vocation, no matter what you do or don't do, uh, whether you're a saint or a sinner, I believe the, all, I believe the one we're going to talk about today applies to everybody. Um, just a matter of us to apply it. So let's start. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word that teaches us, God, that challenges us, that moves us uh, closer to you. We love you, Lord. We ask you to teach us today. I ask you, God, to teach your people, to encourage them, to, to give them hope, to challenge them. God, you speak through me or in spite of me uh, that your will be done today. We love you. Amen. So just to set the scene uh, for you a little bit, because, you know, we, we read the Bible and we, like, turn a page and we forget what was on the other page, right? I mean, it's just kind of part of life. And, and especially when we've been going through a book like this, because something for us that happened, like, six months ago, it was just a couple days ago in the Bible, right? So uh, particularly today, uh, just to remind you of what's going on, uh, where we are in the story, uh, Jesus has just healed Lazarus from the dead. Not, not healed him. Well, he did kind of heal him, I guess. He raised him from the dead. He healed him from death. That's, that is healing. Uh, so he just raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and so what happened? Mary and Martha, they threw a party to honor Jesus, right? So they went over to, to Simon the leper's house, and they had a party. And now Jesus is leaving the house because the Passover is in it's Passover season. And people are showing up in Jerusalem. Now, Passover season in Jerusalem probably doesn't mean much to you. But when you think about the city of Jerusalem, it was a city of, well, we don't know how many people lived there because you know, nobody lived to tell us uh, how many people lived there. But we think about, you know, people disagree, but a pro- probably about 100,000 people lived there in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' day. So it was a big city back then. And it was, this, was no, this was no joke. But during Passover, the population exploded because people from all around came. So I've, I've read in different places. Some people said it was about two and a half million people would show up for Passover. That's probably extreme. I mean, maybe, but uh, but it's safe to say ten times the population would show up for such a festival because this was the festival, right? This is the one that nobody would, everybody would come to Jerusalem for this one. So let's say a million people in a town for a hundred thousand. 
Now, rock haulers, y'all can relate to this, right? Think Fourth of July Parade on steroids, right? Right? Think of Fourth of July Parade, fireworks show, and pirates and winches all the same day. <laughs> and you're still probably not even close. Like, you're still probably not quite there because, I mean, the, just the town blew up. I mean, there were literally people everywhere. They would, like, n- go door to door. Hey, you got a bedroom? Can I sleep in it? Like, they would be sleeping everywhere. The, the countryside was a campground. People were everywhere, literally. And in this, they hear news about Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Like, literally, four days in the tomb, and he walked out. Like, like that news, like in Rock Hall, somebody dies and everybody knows. You know, like you don't need to bother putting it in the obituary. The people are going to find out, right? Imagine if they came to life. <laughs> like, like, that news gets around. I mean, rumors fly around here, but nothing would be like that. I mean, that would get around. He's alive. He's been dead for four days, and he's a lot, like everybody knew. And it's no different in Jerusalem. Everybody was talking about it, and you have all these extra people there. And so there is a lot of excitement in the air, you know. It's like if the Ravens were still playing football, you know, we'd be getting excited. We'd be getting excited about it. It'd be like that. But, but it's not. Uh, anyway, into this place where everybody's talking about the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. It's Jesus. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's, it's His time. It's time for us to bring in our new king. You know, there is a real palpable excitement. The parade lines the streets. Literal parade lines the streets. They, they put palm fronds in the streets. And walk. You know this text. It's, it's the one we usually use from, on Palm Sunday, right? That, uh, that Jesus comes into town as the, as the anointed king riding on a donkey. They knew that Jesus was going to deliver them from their Roman occupiers. They knew that this was... I mean, everything about Jesus pointed to this. I mean, he, he had to be the one, right? I mean, everything about him seemed like he was the one. I mean, he, he did the miracles. He had the right bloodline. He had the way he taught. The way, just the way he handled himself. The way he approached the Pharisees. I mean, he put the Pharisees in their places. Like, this had to be the one. And if it's not him, then who could it be? Like, if this isn't it, this is, I mean, he's perfect for it. It's just a matter of time. They know it is before the Messiah arrives. And the time is now, they believe. Even the Pharisees, even the Pharisees at the time, they can see the writing on the wall, you know. They, they can see that, okay, this, is, this guy is something different. Matter of fact, if you're with me in, in John chapter 12, verse 19, the Pharisees, they said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. All their attempts to arrest him, throw him in jail, all the, to kill him, all those things. Look, the whole world is going after him. We've already lost it. Everybody's after him already. You know, they're like, we, they can see it. They can see it happening, that everybody is rooting for Jesus here. They know that he's the king, and they're ready to just put him into place. Then we don't know when, but a few days later, a couple days later, maybe the next day, we don't know, he doesn't really tell us, but within the next couple of days, Something happened that, that changed the flow of the story. You don't catch it right at first, but this is really where I want us to spend some time today. Well, you know what this is like, right? Like you're, you're, you're going somewhere, and like something happens on the way there or before you get there and makes where you were going irrelevant. Right? You ever experienced that? Like, like you've got vacation next week, but the doctor calls, and he says, you ain't going on vacation. You're like, oh, Okay. Right? Or, or you had plans for this weekend and somebody calls and says, hey, we're coming into town. And you're like, oh, great. 
right? It's like, it's like, yeah, come on over. You know, it's like, all right, so whatever those plans were, we're not doing it anymore, right? You, you, you know what that's like. But that's, that's, what, that's what's happening here, is that their plans for Jesus are about to come into contact with reality. And it's going to make their plans, their dreams for a Messiah that's going to deliver them irrelevant. Like their plans don't matter anymore after this. Verse 20 is where we're going to pick up. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. It's a reasonable request. Philip went to tell Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. It must have been hard to talk to Jesus, I'm not sure. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of God to be glorified. Strange response. Very truly, I tell you, he went on to make it even more strange. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Hey, can, can, can my friends come over and see you, Jesus? I tell you the truth. <laughs> like, that's a strange response to a simple request, right? Some guys want to come see you, Jesus. My time has come. Well, I, that, that's good, but can they come see you? Like, you didn't answer the question. Jesus does that a lot. If you've noticed over the, in the Bible, he, he, he answers the question, but not the way that everybody thinks he should be answering the question. What's happened here is what we see is, what I believe is what's happening here is that Jesus responds in a way because everything has changed. You see, it's finally happening, he says. See, up until this point... Jesus' ministry has been among the Jews up until this point. Anytime he had contact with Gentiles, it was people who were out who were not Jews, what a Gentile is. So anytime he had a contact with a non-Jewish person, it was more or less by chance. You know, they were on the way. The woman at the well, you know, the, the, the soldier, the, the people that, that he came into contact with who weren't Jews were, were more or less just, they just happened to be there or passing through at the same time, that kind of thing. Never did they come just wanting to meet Jesus. They always wanted, and if, when he did, they, they wanted something from it. A miracle? A miracle? Like, Jesus, can you, can you do something for me? But now, for the first time in the story, they want to come and know who he is. Who is Jesus? We want to meet him. It's a powerful change in the story. And Jesus knew with that, the promise of my story going out beyond the Jews, to the whole world, is actually coming clear. It's coming true. And that leads to my death. And you're like, because his death was significant. It brought on a whole different significance to his death, that, that his death would coincide with this truth, going to this gospel going to all the world. This, this, this word to live by that I'm going to introduce to you today in just a moment, it applies to the three areas that we're going to talk about. The first one is death. The second one is life, and the third is purpose. I see, I believe, three things that that touch every part of living, dying, and purpose while we live and die. That's why I believe this word to live by that Jesus shares with us in this passage, I believe, is one of the most powerful words in Scripture to shape our living, our dying, forever. So. He explains, Jesus explains to them that his, that his death 
that he was about to be glorified in death. That's what he told them, right? He said, they say, some, some guys want to meet you. And he says, I'm going to be glorified in, de- in death. And, well, okay. All right, Jesus. Now, for many, that death is the end of influence, right? It's the end of your, your impact on the world because you're no longer there. Like, people remember, we remember people who passed away, but, but their real impact on the world changes when they die, right? When, when, we go, when we're no longer there, we don't impact the world like we did before. But for Jesus, he understood that his life was different. You see, that while they were looking for a king to save them, Jesus said, I'm going to be the Savior to save you from yourselves. But in order to do that, I've got to die. I've got to die. You see, death had a purpose. It was to save us from ourselves. The only way for it to happen. He was teaching them, you see, a new understanding of the significance of his death. That death was significant, but for a whole different reason than what we had, they had ever thought. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, For we are alive, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. See, that's the difference. We're being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Paul talks a lot in 2 Corinthians about suffering and pain and um, difficulties and challenges and all those sorts of things. And what he's saying is that the way all these things work in the world and the way they work in your life are different than the way you think they work. Paul explains that death is the way that Jesus' resurrection works in us. See, from the moment you're born, you, you're dying. Like, like cells die in our bodies from the the instant we're born, before we're born. But they're just replaced quicker than they die. And so you grow. And at some point, you reach equilibrium where cells are being replaced at the same rate they're dying. And then you start to lose cells faster than they replace. And that's how you age. Or we age. Not, not like it just happens to you. I, I looked in the mirror lately. so. Uh, but that's the way it wants. And as John says here... It, it's necessary that our death would lead to something more significant than our life. Our death would lead to something more significant than our life. I mean, that's what, that's what life is. That's the, the point that he's making in this next verse. Verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Many seeds. I've spent a lot of time thinking about seeds. I, I went out to uh, the barn the other day, and in there I have this old teacher's desk. And in it, one drawer that I, I... I'm always optimistic in the springtime, and I buy seeds for all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm going to plant a garden that must be, must be 40 acres. You know, and I buy, I buy so many seeds, it's ridiculous. And I have all these grand plans. And then I plant two rows, and I'm like, yeah, that's enough. I'm not going to weed that, so I don't know why I'd bother planting anymore, so I'm just going to, I'll go put these away, and maybe I'll come back in a month and plant these later, and I never do. So they just stack up in the drawer, and you know what? Seeds, they don't last like that. You can't plant them next year or the year after, even though I can't, I've got some three or four years old, but, but they just don't work that way. Right? You can't store them. They're, they're for a purpose, and that's to be put into the ground. That's it. And what do you get from a seed? You don't get other seed, do you? I don't know about how you raise a garden, but I don't get seeds when I plant seeds. I get a plant, like a 
something grows from it. You know, you don't put the seed in the ground and then you go out the next day and there's seeds laying on the ground. That's not how it works. It grows a plant and that plant produces fruit and then hopefully that fruit has seed in it and you're able to eat and grow more. But what he's talking about here is, is life in the seed is fruit. It's fruit and that's what our life is about. It's about producing fruit. That's what his life does. His life produces something. When Jesus died, his life produced new life. His death produced new life. You can't just do anything you want, right? It, 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 seeds could talk, right? Seeds could talk. They wouldn't be saying, you know, I, I, I like it in the drawer. My seeds can't talk. They haven't spoken to me. But I know they wouldn't be saying, just leave it, close the drawer. They would say, hey man, can you put us in the ground please? Can you, can you do me a solid? Like plant me. Like that's what I'm for. I'm not, I'm not here to, I know I look great. But don't just leave me in the drawer, right? That's, that's what a seed would want. To be used, to be put to its purpose. To be planted for a crop. And yet, when Jesus applied this same teaching about himself, he said, I've got to die. I've got to be the seed that dies for a purpose. And he took that and he turned it right around on us. And yet, because we are so willing to do anything to keep this life going, you and I, we're willing to, do, to go to all kinds of extenses to keep this going because we believe what, what our culture tells us is this life is all that matters. This life is all that counts. When in reality, this life is not what counts. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.36, How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. This life, in order to produce what it was designed for, in order to get to where we're going, for Jesus, for sure, He had to die. He had to die. He's not just a bag of seeds that coulda, shoulda, woulda. He had to die so that we might live. I don't want to be a waste with my life. I know you don't with yours either. In order for that to be, then we need to be planted. We need to be planted. That's what what Jesus goes on to. He he takes this same teaching about the, the significance and the fruit of his life and death, and he applies it straight to those people right around him who are listening. In verse 25, anyone who loves this life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now remember, Jesus had just come to the realization that his life was about to end. And what did he do right after that? He told everybody everybody who would listen, he said, listen, your life is significant, but not for the reason you think it's significant. Your life is significant if you actually hate it in this world. But instead, we live our lives as though that, uh, uh, you know, the little boy who was learning to play baseball, he wanted to teach himself. So he, he took his bat and his ball, and he went outside, and he was going to teach himself how to do it. And so he threw the ball up in the air, and he swung, and he missed. Well, he said, I am the greatest baseball player in the world. And he said, picked up the ball again, and he threw it up, and he missed. And he said, 
I still think I'm the greatest baseball player in the world. And he picked up the baseball, and he threw it up in the air, and he swung it, and he missed. And he said, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> right? He said, I think that's how we, like, if we don't fit someplace we go, we're like, oh, that's what I'm made for. God says what we're made for. Like, God, God tells us that. If we get that from anywhere else but Him, we're missing the point. Our purpose, you see, what he explains in this text is to serve. It's not to do anything else. It's to serve God, to bring glory to God. I know this is hard, especially in our world. What does it mean to to hate our life, right? See, our life, just like Jesus's, is intended to is an opportunity to honor God, to glorify God. Living for Him, as we say in the Christian world, right? That's what we say. We miss that. We fall, if we fall into the trap of believing that, that this life is all there is, that this life is all about us, that I am, I am going to be a great baseball player. If I just keep swinging and then I realize that I'm a great pitcher, right? Then I'm like that seed that refuses to be planted. That just says, just put me on the shelf. I'm one of those, I'm one of those uh, ancient seeds, you know. I'm one of those heirloom seeds. Just put me out somewhere where people can see me and marvel at me. Never never become what I was created to be. Matthew 16, 24 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus wrote, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I heard somebody say one time recently that uh, in order to love others, you have to first love yourself. And while there's, I guess, that sounds true, I think it's not the gospel at all. I think it's so far opposite the gospel that in order to love others, you've got to know that you're loved. You've got to know that you're loved by God before you can love anybody, before you can love, before you can love yourself, before you can love anybody else. You gotta, it starts with knowing that you're loved. Everything in this life finds its purpose, finds its direction in God. Everything. Now think about what Jesus was facing. Death, right? He knew what was coming. How did he respond? Everything is for God. How did he respond knowing that, that, okay, I've got to go through something that's not going to be very good? How did he respond? Verse 27, my soul is troubled. And yet, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He's saying, what what am I supposed to do? Like, I, I know I don't want to go through this. But what do I do? Say, God, get me out of this? No, this is it's for this purpose that I'm here. To glorify God. To glorify God. Regardless of what I'm going, what I'm facing, I'm here to glorify God. Jesus wasn't looking forward to dying. He's like the Apostle Paul who said in, in Philippians chapter 1, he said, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has actually happened has served to advance the gospel. He's been beaten, thrown in prison, um, all, all kinds of horrific things have happened to him. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul said, yes, bad things have happened, but it's for God's glory. It's for Christ that I've experienced all this. Paul's like, these things aren't insignificant that have happened to me, but they're not going to matter as much in, when we have them in the right perspective. 
You see, I, I think a lot of times we, we don't need to think less of ourselves. Like, like, you may be going through hard things, and they're hard. But that doesn't mean you think, oh, well, you know, what am I? I'm, I'm nobody, right? It should happen to me. I deserve it. No, no. You're significant. You're created by God. So to love Him and to be loved, you are. You are a significant part of His creation. But, but we get that significance mixed up, right? You're not the point of it. Don't think less of yourself, but just think of ourselves less. Less often, maybe, you might think of. We need to think of ourselves less often, and more often, we think of Jesus. That, that's what it means to, to be given life. To, to live this life, thinking of Him, putting Him first. More of Him, less of me. In my whole life. As an act of worship, to rejoice, to glorify God. That's what Jesus did, that's what He models for us, and that's what He challenged us to do. Because simply... No matter what you're going through, you're made for more than that. You're made for more than this. Much more. Regardless of what you're facing. You were created for a bigger purpose than death, than suffering, than pain, than difficulty, than, than opportunities. We were made for something beyond this. And yet many people fail to realize it, and they, they fail to believe in Jesus. Knowing that, that that's a hopeful thing, that I was made for more than this, that, that even so, I, they failed to look. And believe it, it's not new to us. Matter of fact, for Jesus, in, in this story, in verse 37, after Jesus had performed many miracles, it says, people didn't believe. They didn't believe then. Many saw, but they couldn't believe because, because their hearts were hard, the Scripture says. And what that refers to is that they had turned away from God so often that, that they could no longer turn back. That they were, they were so self-absorbed that they could never turn and see God for who He was. And so, Jesus came to be what? Light. The Gospel of John tells it again and again and again that I've come to be light to those in the darkness. He came to show God to the world. To the world because we were living in darkness. Because we were self-absorbed. Jesus is for everybody. Everybody. If He came to people in the dark, then He's for everyone. I think we need to consider what he said in verse 47 and 48. If you have it there in your Bible, he says, If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, if anyone hears my words, doesn't keep them, then I do not judge that person. What? I thought, I thought it mattered. Keep reading. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There's a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. See, we get caught up in, in feeling like we need, to, we need to judge things now. No, no, no. Jesus said, that I didn't come to judge. I came to show people the light, to draw people to God, to, to tell people the truth, to show them love, to, to welcome them in. And, and how they sort that out, that's, that's on them. They turn away from it. There will be a time to be judged for that. But while I'm here, I'm going to show people the light. And if we, the church, would do that, we'd focus more on that and less on showing, telling people when they're wrong and just focus on tell people the truth and love them. He came to be the light for those who are living in the dark. Not to pass judgment, but to save those. To save the world. We want the world to know what Paul prayed 
in Ephesians chapter 1, where he prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for those who believe. That's what God wants for us. Today, you may hear these words of God and these words to live by that I've, I've coined them as, as to, to die to ourselves, to die to this life. You may hear that and you think that's, how am I going to hate my life in this world? That may be you. And I just want to say that I welcome you to that place because that's where I find myself. I want that. I want that in me, that I would, I would hate my life in this world and I would live for only the life that is to come in Christ, to be fully realized. And if that's you, I want to pray for you today. Join me. Lord, I pray for those who are gathered here as your disciples, that who know you and love you, have experienced your forgiveness and your grace, that we might think of ourselves less and more of you, more of others, that we might die to ourselves and live to you. And that while we find joy in this life, God, we would continue to understand that you, are not life itself, but you alone are the source and the direction of our joy. That as I invest my life into your purpose for us, that you would produce fruit. That's a blessing for your kingdom here on earth even into eternity. Thank you, Lord. Probably some others that are gathered here today who are feeling that God calling you into a relationship with Him. To, to realign your life around these words, these words to live by of Jesus, to, to die to this life. To hate our life in this world, but to live for Him. And so, I would encourage you to pray a, a simple prayer of surrender like this. You can pray it to yourself or you can pray it out loud with me. Lord, thank you for showing me your truth. I want to be your child. I repent of my sin. I thank you for forgiving me, for making my life brand new. I give that life to you, God. I live for you. I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that empowers me, enables me to live my life for you just as you created me. Thank you. You created us, God. In your images, your representatives here on earth, with you and for you, for each other. But rather than live as a reflection,